0: They they can come in when they do. This this, uh, workshop is on disciple making, and uh, we're going to look at Jesus' method of making disciples. So it's going to focus on looking at the life of Christ. Before we do that, I just want to, if you've never seen this, kind of refresh uh, your memory if you have. But the vision of the EFCA is we're praying God will raise up one million disciple-makers, impacting millions with the gospel and and transforming entire cities and regions. So this kind of just helps focus us, drive us back to the whole thing of of being gospel-centered, making disciples. And uh, one of the things that that I think is important for us to be reminded of, making disciple-makers is not one of the things we're supposed to do. It's the thing we're supposed to do. And sometimes we get off track, and it becomes one of the things. So a little interaction with me this afternoon, if you would. Uh, I think there's five things churches and church leaders have to answer. And the first one is this. What's the difference between disciple being, or discipleship as we call it, and disciple making? And the second part of that question is, is, everyone called to be a disciple maker. How would you answer that? Yes? Okay. What's the difference between disciple being or discipleship and disciple making?
1: How you're living is disciple being. Okay. But intentionally helping others to live that way is disciple
0: making. Okay. So good. Yes. There is a distinct difference in between those. Uh, And and so then the second question that I think churches and leaders have to answer is, uh, how are you making disciple-makers? What's your blueprint? Understanding exactly how you're making disciple-makers, and and just to use the language, what's your your blueprint to do that? Third question, how do you measure uh, to know if you're being successful? A lot of times we talk about being disciple-makers— and have a disciple-making ministry. Um, sometimes, probably more than not, I will say uh, we're not really measuring, you know, for successful at. It. And I think it's one of the things we have to figure out how we would measure. Uh, next is: Are your disciple, are your leaders involved in making disciple makers? I don't think unless the leaders lead, model what it means to be a disciple-maker, meaning all your elders, all your deacons, all the people that are in leadership positions, actually discipling somebody else, I think it is very difficult for a church to catch hold and see this happen. Last, do you have a complete biblical model of what a disciple-maker is? So those are some of the key questions that I think we have to get at. And then five evaluations that I talked about before. Uh, One is... Is your definition of a disciple maker clear? <clears throat> How many of you would say you think if if, uh, if you went out into the people in your congregation and asked them what a disciple maker is, would it be a clear definition or fuzzy? How many would say it's clear? So, does that mean everybody thinks it's fuzzy? Yeah, fuzzy. Okay. Okay. So, the opportunity for us to. Begin right there, if nothing else, right? Next, is there continuity in all our ministries? Is everyone working towards producing disciple-makers? So in all the ministry pieces in your church, somehow we have to make sure we're kind of pressing this down that making disciple-makers is the thing we're trying to do and making sure there's continuity in our ministries. Third, what's the state of disciple-making in your church now? Give me some feedback. Who will be brave enough to give me a read? What's the state of disciple-making in your church right now? Kathy? A
1: few people are meeting one-on-one with
0: new believers. Okay. So you have a few people meeting primarily with new believers. Okay. Somebody else. So i got to get you engaged. You just say lunch and then set through a business meeting. <clears throat> you. Anybody brave enough? Yeah. I think in my, in my church, there's plenty of stuff going on teaching the Bible and engaging in sort of overseas missions, but there's not a lot of outreach to unbelievers. And so okay second half of disciple-making, helping
2: people mature. We did pretty
0: well on that, but not in the first. Okay. Next next evaluation I think leaders in churches have to wrestle with. How will you measure effectiveness in your disciple-making? How are you going to evaluate every year how well you're doing? You have to think through that. When will you measure, and what metrics will you use to measure with? And then finally, who are you in a disciple-making relationship with personally? I find that when we kind of start talking about this, we, we, most of us know the right answer. Yep, we're supposed to be disciple-makers. Yeah, we're supposed to do this. And then when I ask the question, who's doing it? Not such a good answer many times. <clears throat> and then a church should be asking regularly, Who are your disciple-maker leaders? Who in your church are the leaders in this that that you can get hold of, kind of the low-hanging fruit, and begin to invest in? Okay, let me start to transition with you a little bit. What do you think Jesus meant by the term disciple? What are some terms that that, uh, come to mind for you?
3: Devotee.
0: Okay, devoted person. Alright, what else? A follower. A follower? Good. Keep going. A student. What's that? A student. a student, okay? Paul? In
2: all the cases of the man that Jesus called, there was a leaving of one life and pursuit of another life. Okay?
0: Good. What else? An apprentice? An apprentice? Yeah. There are lots of terms we can use, and, and, and I ask that question because sometimes we can just get so locked in the one term, we make that pretty narrow in our definition. And I think we need to learn how to broaden that some. Um, so next question. What do you know about how Jesus made disciples? He spent time with them. Okay, there was an investment relationally with, with them in time. Okay, what else? He lived it out before He lived it out before them. Yeah, so he modeled it with them and walked with them and they observed it in the relational. Yeah. Sometimes he
2: taught in uh,
0: groups. Sometimes he taught in very personal contexts. So it so was a scope of how he did disciple-making. It wasn't just one... Very rigid method. Yep, right.
2: What
1: <laughs> else? What else? What he did teach, he talked in language that they understand. It wasn't lofty,
3: mm-hmm. pompous
1: okay. right. ideas. Good. good. Down to earth. He,
0: yes, right here. He
3: sent them out.
0: He sent them out. Yeah. Them out. We know his disciple making method included sending them out to go do something, right? Yeah. That one's missed a lot. We we make it kind of a classroom student academic model, yeah, we forget right. no. He wasn't just trying to fill their heads with knowledge; he was trying to send them out. Good. What else? Yes. Different people. Uh huh. Different types of people that were doing different things. Yep. Good. Yeah. He prayed for them. He prayed for them. Yeah. So let's go to this one. What's that? What are the components that Jesus you think focused on? The Father. The following piece. Good. What else? The Father. Oh, Father God. Yes, thank you. Okay. Prayer. You would have taught him how to pray? You want to taught him about the Father? Good. What else? Focus well, on Scripture, on the Gospel. Yeah, what about the Word and what that is in the Gospel? Good. Any others come to mind? Obedience. Obedience?
1: Loving the unloved and the unlovable.
2: Okay. Good. Paul? Well, getting back to someone mentioned he sent them out. Um, he sent them out before we would have said they were ready.
0: Yeah. They didn't have the diploma yet.
2: Yeah. I'm not saying we care less. Yes. I mean, I think sometimes we we have this idea that
0: after, we'll do all that stuff after seminary. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the last one. What happens when churches? Do not make disciple makers. Eventually, they die, right?
2: Yeah. Or they're so inward focused. Right. Stagnant. Yeah.
0: Buried. What else? We make church attenders.
1: We make church attenders.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think my observation over the years has been that we do a pretty good job at making church attenders. We don't do a very good job of making disciple-makers. <coughs> and, and, and so what, what happens when we make church attenders and not disciple-makers? You
3: lose focus on purpose.
0: You do. And the, and the folks that are trained by us to be the attenders mm-hmm. become the consumer kind of people that come weekly and want right. something. Right. And then when they don't get something, they get angry and go to another church. Can right. you see how we kind of create this issue? Right? All right. So so let me just run through a couple of things. First, a disciple is, we, we, we have to deal with identity. One of the workshops to this morning was dealing with that. But a disciple is, we have to help people understand Um, everybody who comes to faith in Christ is a disciple. There's no option. You can't say, I just want to get out of hell, but I don't want to be a disciple. You come to faith in Christ, you're a disciple. And that means you're a son or daughter now of God. You've been redeemed. You've been replanted back into the family of God. And so they understand, I exist to love God with everything I am, And to be loved by him with everything he is. Now think back just to our last discussion about church attenders. Right? If if I'm making attenders and not disciples, it's hard for them to even grasp they exist to love God with everything they have. Uh, Before all things, I will seek his kingdom and righteousness, trusting him for my needs. That's a disciple. A disciple, I will seek to have my whole life become an act of worship, out of Romans chapter 12. So first, a disciple is a son or a daughter. Knowing and loving God is my first priority. Second, a disciple is a servant. I will love others with the love of Christ, seeking their welfare beyond my own. In other words, called and understanding they live sacrificially in life. Make church attenders, sacrificial living is not usually part of the equation. Amen? Mm. I will have a healthy appreciation of self based in my understanding of who I am in Christ. Finally, I will seek to live out the passions and priorities of Christ. John 14, 12. uh, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who uh, believes in the Father does the works that I do. Jesus told those who were disciples. And then this John 15, 12, about loving other people, that being the mark of a disciple. So first, they're a son or a daughter. Second, they're a servant, meaning that they're going to love others with the love of Christ. Third, this is not a comprehensive list, so don't don't, uh, say I missed a couple here. I'm just giving you a run by. Finally, a disciple is a steward. My mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to make more and better disciples for Him everywhere I go. It is the outworking of my loving devotion to Christ and His church. Kind of follows up on the uh, second point of being a servant. Making disciples is a disciple's third priority. Is that helpful? Give me your thoughts or, or questions. Any? What's that? What's it
2: kind of in orderly fashion, so speak? Yeah,
0: right. If I am a son or a daughter, then I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to love like Christ love, because that's not an option. And if I love like Christ love, then that means I'm going to be a steward and live out making disciples the rest of my life the thing that he called me to I ran across this uh, some years ago and it, and it was it's a guy named uh, bill allison of cadre ministries and it's uh, kind of a, his putting in the words of the great commission and how the disciples might have heard this in their own minds when jesus spoke so he says they hear it like this guys You know what I've done with you for the last three and a half years. Repeat that in the exact same way over and over again. Starting right now, as you go about your lives, do exactly what I did with you, with others, and help them to do it with others without ever stopping. When you tell others about me, some will believe and follow me. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be sure to pull them close, like I did with you, and to show them how to love God, love people, and make disciples. Until every ethnic group in the world has disciples who are making more disciples, as you live by disciple-making way of life, you can have full assurance of my presence, power, and provision, for I am always with you. Isn't that interesting? It's just... A, a, a very useful way of thinking when Jesus in Matthew twenty-eight shared the Great Commission, that they probably heard it something like this. Here's some general observations. You get on some of them. Jesus never did ministry alone. He was always apprenticing someone. Can you name a time for me with the exception of going to a mountaintop and pray all night several times? Can you think of a time that Jesus just took off on his own without bringing somebody with him? In the desert.
2: Maybe, in the desert, yeah. right? Maybe in the desert, right? Maybe in the desert. That was before he started. Yep. Yeah.
0: Right. Other than that, he was always inviting somebody to come and bringing them along. He was diverse in his geography, in his culture, and in people he discipled. modeled what a spiritual life was to be like. Think of the disciples traveling with him because they were always on the move. They would have watched how he prayed. They watched how he worshipped. They watched how he shared the gospel. They would have watched how he used the word and taught from it. His disciple-making model was relationally based. And so Jesus modeled the way of a disciple and then handed it off with an expectation Brothers to follow his way. There was a goal not just to train them, but to hand off the method as well so they could reproduce it. Here's an interesting thought for you. What was the backup plan if the disciples that Jesus trained uh, didn't take it and go with it? What's plan B? Man, that doesn't sound like a very good business model, does it? No contingency plan? I mean, he he just simply taught them, modeled it, and then said, go do it. No backup plan. So I want to keep moving down this funnel a little bit with us. And I want us to think about the rabbinic model that Jesus probably used. Now, uh, during those days, the rabbis would uh, gather people to themselves. A lot of them would apply to be a follower of a rabbi. And they would accept some, and that meant they spent an extended amount of time with him and followed him. Uh, they would follow or literally walk after the rabbi, and they would spend time with him. They watched how he prayed. They watched how he uh, dealt with the sacraments. I mean, they observed everything he did. In a book I read about two years ago... Uh, Recounted the story that uh, during this time it was a, a, a kind of a common understanding that a disciple desired to be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Meaning they followed so closely, they were so closely connected, the dust from his feet would, would just kind of bathe them. So I think there's a fourfold method that Jesus used from this rabbinical model. First, there would be instruction. We see the scriptures where Jesus provided instruction. But it wasn't an academic exercise. It was instruction with interaction or wisdom over knowledge. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge?
3: Practical application.
0: Yeah. You know what? I think it's easy if we're not careful to do classroom settings. And that's why... Relationship is so essential in disciple making. It's easy to do classroom teaching and for people to gain knowledge and never learn wisdom. And so he would include instruction with interaction so that he was kind of helping them gain wisdom over just knowledge. Second, it was imitation. And so his teaching method was imitation in every area of his life by this relationship. It's interesting when you think about it like this. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem, build a new temple or synagogue and say, Hey, come to Jerusalem and I'll set up a shop here and I'll teach you if you want. Come on down. He didn't teach him how to preach. He didn't teach him how to teach a Sunday school class or gather a small group or any of those things. But one of the main things they asked him to teach them was what? How to pray. How to pray. So Jesus said, Look, you're going to follow me, then it's going to mean we're going to be on the move together. And you'll come with me and you'll learn how I pray. And you'll watch me go through Samaria and talk to the Samaritan woman. You're going to do all these things that you're probably not going to like. But I'm going to teach you for wisdom, not knowledge. Third component is examination. There'd be an exi- assignment with accountability, uh, meaning when they did the first two, uh, he expected them to do it. Can you think of uh, any time in Jesus' life where we can read it in the scriptures there was an examination? When they came back from the missionary yeah, journey. Yeah, from their missionary journey. Jesus said, Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. And then finally, there would be uh, an ending. In other words, that they would do the same thing with their own disciples one day. It wasn't like you just come to the school, you get your diploma, you're done. No, now you're supposed to gather your own disciples. So the expectation would be a disciple maker with your own disciples who would then make their own disciples one day. That's the model of Jesus. No plan B. No backup plan here's what he did. He instructed, taught him to imitate, gave him an examination, he'd have an ending and say, now go do it. Matthew 28. Um, Let's see, because of our time, I'm going to skip through this section. Let me just make a comment for you. I'm convinced that uh, when we think big picture in disciple making, one of the things we must keep in mind is that in, in reality, anybody we start a disciple making journey with, we're trying to teach them how to live out the great uh, commandment: to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Right? I mean, so if I'm discipling somebody and I'm being discipled, the reality is we're all on the path. And in my very best day. I fall miserably short in loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. My sin clouds me into doing that. And so when you disciple somebody, kind of keep that in mind, if you would. Okay, here's, I think, a helpful chart, and then we're going to jump right into the life of Christ after this. But I want you to look side by side kind of this rabbinical method that Jesus would have used compared to the Western model that we're used to today. You with me? Our our model of of doing things because we learned this in school and everything else. So the rabbinic side would be focused on developing character. The uh, Western side would be focused more on uh, developing and gaining credentials. The Western model would be uh, focus more on proposition and method, rabbinical on principle. We've talked about the, knowledge or the wisdom side from rabbinical. Western is to gain knowledge. And, and the gaining knowledge, as Kevin said, is pretty easy to do nowadays. Right? You have all kinds of resources. But who, uh, you, how do you learn wisdom? Experience. Yeah, you have to have somebody walk with you and, and take you through this. The uh, rabbinical model was focused on uh, teaching someone how to live. The Western model tends to focus more on how to do things. The rabbinical model uh, know how to obey. Western model is know how to control. Anchored in knowing God, the rabbinical model. Our, our Western model is anchored in knowing the universe. The rabbinical model, rooted in God's word, and our Western side of things, we're taught is uh, rooted in empirical knowledge. The rabbinical is focused on an adult learner, Western is more of a child learner model. It includes content in the rabbinic, fact based in the Western side. Rabbinic, life on life, the Western model no relationship required. Life is a curriculum under the rabbinic model. Western model is some field-specific curriculum. How to have a healthy marriage kind of thing or something. The rabbinic model is designed to form the heart. The Western model is designed to form the thinking. Is this helpful? How does that affect disciple-making in our churches? We win somebody to Christ, and their natural tendency, thinking of these this two slides, is what teach me more things. I want to I want to know a lot of knowledge. And then you say, well, the knowledge is supposed to be used so you now look more like Christ in the way you live your life. And they don't like that. It goes
1: to the heart
0: goes to the heart. Yeah, you're exactly right. It goes right to the heart. And then I think when we think about uh, disciple makers in our churches, if we're more focused on the western model, then most people in church are going to say, I don't know enough to disciple somebody. I'm not as smart as the pastor. I, I-, I didn't go to seminary, so I'm not smart enough to disciple somebody. But the rabbinic model is life on life. And anybody who's been <coughs> excuse me, saved can grab somebody and say, let's, let's look at how Jesus prayed and see how we can learn how to do that better. Mm-hmm. That's the difference? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a big difference probably for us as we think of Jesus' way of uh, making disciples. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. And uh, this is my kind of thought process. When I look at Jesus' life, uh, after his baptism, he had about three and a half years to train disciple-makers before he would go to the cross. Three and a half years. Okay? And when I look at the Gospels and I read through the life of Christ, I think there were four components to the way Jesus did things. So follow me along. I think... There was always, and this isn't a sequential thing necessarily, but these components are present. There was always an invite piece to Jesus' method of making disciples. Come and see. What's the very thing we read in John chapter 1, verses uh, 35 through 51, the first disciples that are called, what, what did Jesus say? They said, hey, where are you staying tonight? And he said, what? Come and, see. Come and see. Wouldn't you like to know what they did for that night and what they talked about? I wish that was recorded in the scriptures. I'd like to know where they went. Yeah, where did they stay? What did they do? What did they eat? What did they talk about? I don't know. But we could see this, and we'll look at this slide in a moment, that there was always an invite stage. There was also then an include and an invest stage. So when somebody was invited, they said Yes. I'll follow you, Jesus. He said, come be with me, follow me, observe what I do, and learn from me. And then there would be an instructive involved phase, where he's going to teach disciples how to fish for men, like our sister said here, we're supposed to go do, and involve them how to live it out, the thing he taught them. And then finally, there was this ignite phase they would then go and make more disciple-makers. I think when you look at Jesus' life, these four components, or these four portions, were always present. So let's walk through this real quick. Number one, I want you to notice at the top, I think when you look at Jesus' life, in terms of being a disciple-maker, it was always relational, it was always intentional, and it was always missional. It was done through relationship, it was done intentionally, meaning there were certain things he was going to make sure he exposed them to and, and taught them. And then it was missional, meaning it was meant intentional for them to then go do something with it. So here's the invite phase. Somebody read um, just some of those first passages of John thirty-one or thirty-five through fifty-one to refresh your memory. Who would like to do that? Thank you, Mo. 35. Mm-hmm. Again the
3: next day after John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and saw them following, and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted as master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak, and followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which which is by interpretation of stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and said unto him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than me. He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven
0: open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Thank you. How do you see this invite phase lived out in these passages? Jesus obviously did it at first, right? Did they pick up on that? They they were saying, Hey, come see. You gotta come Mm -hmm. see the Messiah we just bowed. Yeah, let's go see. And think about that. You know, one of, one of the things I want to cautious us on as church leaders is this. If you're not careful, it's easier to connect people to church than to Christ. Okay? It, it's easier to connect people to church than Christ. And one of the ways you know that is if you, uh, you get a chance to meet somebody, you ask them about their spiritual life, and they begin saying things like, well, I grew up in this church, and I grew up in this church, and I used to do this in this church. And then you say, tell me about Jesus. That's great. When you meet Jesus, what's your life like with Jesus? And they kind of get the blank stare. You know, they've been connected to church. Jesus was inviting them to come and discover who he was. I think one of the things we have to try and work at is is changing our disciple-making mindset to to think, how do we invite people now to come discover Christ more than come discover church? And here's what's interesting. You can do that outside of church. I can do that over a cup of coffee for weeks or months even. Hey, let's study who Jesus is. Jeff.
3: Yeah. Yeah within the body of Christ we are living out Christ's example and people come and see him in us and how we relate to each other Mm -hmm. in Christ they see Christ in us and they're drawn to him not all the stuff that's going on the stuff that's going on might be the vehicle to get them to church to see but also like you said elsewhere wherever we go at work at home at play see Christ in us and we get the opportunity to share yeah. with the
0: yes. life of yes. So it's relational. It is. It's relational. It's inviting them. And it just takes uh, an invitation. They can say no. Okay, so they say no. But if you don't ask, they don't even get a chance to say no. Paul? Oh.
2: Where do you think um, we are today in our evangelism training as far as the use of our own personal testimony? It, it just seemed like there was a day, decades ago, when that was an important element, and you even see that here in the Gospel of John. Yeah. That you know, it's that I was once blind and now I see it. Yeah. I don't know everything. I don't. You yeah. have to know everything, but this is one thing I do know. I wonder how many of our people feel that yeah. and know that.
0: I would. I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I believe that, uh, number one, I, can get, I could go to Ashland or Mansfield or any city, and I can probably find lots of people who would argue the Bible with me, or argue about Christianity. It's not too hard in today's world. Would you agree? But you know what? When I share my testimony that I was once blind, now I see, and the gospel is a part of that, How's anybody going to tell me that didn't happen in my life? And, And I did just what I think Jesus is telling us to do. As you go, be ready to do that. He converts the heart. I can't save anybody. He transforms the believer. I can't transform anybody. My responsibility is to share the good news. God's job is to convert the heart. Amen? And so, I appreciate that. Yeah, I I think there's great opportunity for us to help our people learn how to share their testimony, including the gospel. So, I think there's a, I'm going to run out of time, a pathway barrier that uh, we run into, that we have to address, that keeps us stuck in the invite phase. And it's this, we assume people know how to discover Jesus. We assume people know our pathway, and we assume we we have a clear pathway. And the deal is we assume. We need clear paths to direct people on, and a passion and willingness to be relational. Caution, it's easier to connect people with church than Jesus.
1: Being fed so that I am fed to go out and take the gospel that I know from you know your study and what you get from the church and the fellowship inside the church, so that you can disciple lead people and then bring new believers in the church. That the church is not necessary to bring unbelievers in. The church is for the believer to be fed and go out and disciple. Sure,
0: sure. Yeah, and again, it's it's sometimes just too easy to say, hey, from the church, and then we bring the church, and then we just kind of leave them there as an orphan, and then we go do something. And you
1: that's know. how, you know, the body, you know, and I use like body, small b, yeah. where that head is not necessarily the Lord Jesus Christ, but that body, that membership gets diluted in strength because you have so much
0: And so, the first piece is the invite piece. And the the application for us is, um, who are we inviting to come find out who Jesus is with us? That's a different question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Who who would we be willing to say, hey, want to find out about Jesus? Let's, let's, you know, come on, let's, let's do it second piece, and I'm going to speed up sorry, is uh, you know, let me just go to here and say at some point, we do the invite to come and discover, at some point you know, they don't really become a fully following uh, disciple until they come to repentance, okay and so at some point and although it's interesting when you read the gospels, you don't uh, see any of the apostles praying the sinner's prayer walking in aisle. It is kind of interesting. You know, just, just digging a little bit here. We don't have time to go there. But I do think they came to faith in Christ. They believed he was the Messiah. They said that in the text we read, right? So, the second is include a in new best. In other words, uh, come be with me, follow in and observe what I do. So, to include means to bring him in, to make a part of something, to connect them with, and relationship is essential. Here, Think with me for a minute about this. We're not talking about developing friendships just as a pal. I'm saying we want to develop friendships that leads to what's called and That's an intimate spiritual communion and participation uh, of sharing among uh, this, this life in Christ that we have. So it isn't, let's just go drink a cup of coffee together. There's a relationship that I'm trying to lead you to with me that's centered around Christ. And so we invest. We pour into them. We equip them. We develop them. And we help them be made ready. That's the second piece I see in Jesus' ministry of of disciple making. Come see. And when they come see, there were things he did. So how are you going to teach people to be self-feeder, self-motivated, intentional in their life with Christ? Okay? Relationally connecting them is key. So here are just a few very basics. We don't want to miss the opportunity for anybody that said yes, that wants to follow Christ, to teach them how to read their Bible so they're a self-feeder. There should be no person who's come to faith in Christ that is unable I mean, I'm better now than what I used to be, but I'm not as good as what I hoped to be. But that can sit down in the morning and read two verses and pray through it or, or think about it as a personal devotion, but we have to teach people how to do that. Okay, uh, we have to teach them what the gospel is and, and help them develop a gospel filter for their life. We have to uh, teach them how to tell God's gospel in their story. I appreciate your question, Paul. One of the things I notice is uh, there's probably an opportunity for people in their testimony to learn how to put the gospel at the center of it. I don't think it's they don't want to, but I think we have to do a better job of teaching them how to. Um, What are the basic tenets of Christian doctrine? We would want to teach somebody that, right? And then what's a great commandment lifestyle look like? A lifelong pursuit of worship and living in the fruit of the Spirit, of generosity and loving others, those things we did. Now, We've tended to, in the church today, make these 13-week classes. And I'm not beating up on us for doing that, except I don't think it's been as effective as what we hope. I think that's the relationship piece. You know, think of somebody in your own life that has helped you become better at praying. You've probably observed them pray, right? You've probably walked alongside them in in some things. So I think we've got the invite phase. We've got the include and invest phase. The barrier to keep it from going the next is people become inwardly focused, educationally distracted, and consumer comfortable. Again, think back to the chart. Rabbinic model, Western mindset. If it's academic driven, they're stuck thinking, I don't know enough. And when I know enough, now I'll go share my faith, or now I'll go help somebody else be a disciple. Uh, We must teach people. Being a disciple maker is not an option. And so they can now begin to disciple other people, like their spouse, like their children. You do know it's not the church's job to disciple kids, primarily. I'm not sure the church, a corporate group, will stand before Christ one day, but I think as a dad, I'll stand before Christ one day and have to say, did you disciple your kids? So we have to teach dads how to disciple their kids, moms how to disciple their kids. Living out a faith is not an independent exercise. Okay, third. I'm flying now. Uh, instructed involved. And this third phase, Jesus, as he's had them with him, he's included and invested in them. Now he's going to instruct them and involve them in living out disciple-making the way he does. And so uh, his primary focus was teaching disciples how to fish for men in this space. Disciples would be sent on a mission to live what they were taught. Remember one time he sends out 12? One time he sends out how many? 72, right? With the expectation to do what? go into this town and be my witness, and if they don't accept you, what? Take off the dust and don't come back to me. Go to another town. This component of disciple-making instructs the disciple-maker and involves them as servant leaders in action. His ultimate goal in this component of disciple-making was to deploy them in ministry with the competence and character they learned from him already. And so, um, that means teaching people how to intentionally develop relationships with non-Christians. How how to have friends that aren't Christians, and then go do that. How to watch for ways to serve them once you develop the friendship. How to investigate creative ways to have spiritual discussions with them as you're in relationship. How to lift them in prayer regularly and love them. And then finally, looking for gospel opportunities. Looking... Uh, Teaching them to listen for open doors and uh, ways that they can lead people to Christ. Paul, you said it's really learning people to tell their story. And then the last phase is the Ignite phase, and it's go make other disciple-makers. And so I think you look at Jesus' life, and this is a packed-in. Took you on a fast ride. I apologize. But we look at Jesus' life, we see the invite component. We see the include and invest component. We see the instruct and involve component. And then we see the ignite component. And what was the result of that? So here's the summary of Jesus' multiplication process from the book of Acts. Uh, the first one didn't come up for some reason, but within two years disciples filled Jerusalem and they were already multiplying other disciples. Within two years of Jesus' death, four and a half years later, Acts 9.31 says they're multiplying churches because they made disciples. Nineteen years later it says they're all over the world making disciples. And then finally, 28 years later, all over the world the gospel bearing fruit. That was Jesus' pretty simple disciple-making model. Now, last question, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Is there any part of that chart that we looked at that we are unable to carry out? No, if
1: we're willing to do it. Yeah.
0: And so then, the question you have to wrestle with is, what is the barrier that's keeping you from doing it? What's keeping us from doing exactly what Jesus did—inviting people, investing in them, and our culture? Giving your time is a hard thing. Can I teach them their testimony and include the gospel. And we all know church multiplication and churches have sent out other disciples into the mission field or as pastors as a result of doing this, right? Let me pray for you. Father, thanks for your love and your grace. Thank you for this uh, great model, Jesus, that you gave us on how you made disciple makers. Might we live uh, obedient to your model? Might we live doing the same thing that you did? with the same passions and the same priorities of you, Jesus. And so for all of us, I think that's the challenge, but that's the opportunity. Might you use our last hour together as an opportunity for us to become more like you and uh, be known as a disciple maker. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, if you run that back Going back to the I will slide. Sure, and if you want any of this, email me and I'll be happy to give it.